Welcome to the first episode of In the Vitrine. My name is Danny. And I'm Nadia. And Danny and I are friends and colleagues in the School of Fashion at La Salle College of the Arts in Singapore, where we teach fashion history and theories. Yes, we are both researchers trained in London. In 2015, I went to London College of Fashion for my MA in Fashion Curation with Judith Clark and Amy De La Haye. I also started Fashion Collective Mashup in 2012 in Singapore as part of a fashion incubation project with Parkonex Next. And for me, I completed my Master in History of Art, specialising in History of Dress at the Courtauld Institute of Art in London in 2013. I am currently a second-year PhD student back at the Courtauld under the supervision of Dr. Rebecca Arnold. My research is focused on the image of the woman and the link between fashion and identity construction. I am currently researching the development of the Singapore fashion history in the 1970s and 1980s and its ties with nation-building efforts. I also oversee internship and employment opportunities for my students at La Salle, and so I have a keen interest in new developments within the regional fashion industry, which allow me to assist them in planning and achieving their desired careers. And I've been assisting curator Sarasit Anastrosa uh, since 2012, and we've been exploring fashion, ethnicity, and disability. I'm also interested in avant-garde fashion, the diaspora, and youth culture. So while our respective research interests are varied, Danny and I are both particularly interested in fashion in Asia, especially Singapore, where we both live. This is why we have created this podcast to chat about the business, culture and pleasures of historical and contemporary fashion in Singapore and the rest of Asia, and to air our views on fashion in the region as both an industry and a part of everyday life and its place within the global fashion system. So we wanted to come up with a name that captured our interests and goals for the podcast, and Danny came up with the perfect name. <laughs> Thank you. Well, the vitrine is a trope of display. We usually encounter vitrines in fashion, both in terms of window displays or fashion exhibitions, where we see historical dress in vitrines. We hope you will enjoy joining us in the vitrine for each episode, which will be centered around a single topic. That's right. And for our first episode, we take our cue from two recent announcements about Fashion Weeks. One, the Swedish Fashion Council has announced that it has cancelled Stockholm Fashion Week because it is environmentally unsustainable. And London Fashion Week has also announced that it will be opening up its shows to the public. So Fashion Week as a concept is constantly changing and the popularity of Fashion Weeks is also in flux. And while we all know that the big four fashion cities are London, New York, yeah. Paris and Milan, in Asia, Shanghai Fashion Week and Seoul Fashion Week have become the fashion weeks to attend. Yes, and in Singapore, we have not had a fashion week since the last one in 2017. So it's in this context that Nadia and I will talk about the creative presentations, more independent fashion presentations that we have seen mm -hmm. in Singapore and in our travels to places like Shanghai in the past year, in the presence and the absence of an established fashion week in the respective cities. Right. And Danny, you were telling me about an interesting fashion show you attended in Singapore in December that left a deep impression. Yes. So I haven't seen an independently run um, fashion exhibition, fashion presentation done in that manner since, well, we did those things with Mashup. So this was a fashion show that was done by a Singaporean Taiwanese designer called Shona Wu. Mm -hmm. So at the time of the presentation, she had just graduated from Parsons in New York, where she trained as a fashion designer. Um, it was held on the 14th of December in a creative studio called uh, 
21 Moonstone. Oh, where is that? Sounds magical. It's up in the moon. <laughs> so the write-up, this is what uh, Shona Wu wrote about the presentation in her invites and um, her website. And she's, I quote, A new type of fashion art performance. This live garment installation casts people of color, femme, queer individuals as they perform a reimagined ritualistic tea ceremony. The performance naturally dyes Shona Wu's garments, handcrafted textiles and Chinese knot harnesses with red hawthorn tea as the performers leak liquid from their mouth, echoing their intimate relationship with culture. How do we process or embody legacies passed down generationally within our own transcultural realities? Wow. That's a lot to take in. Yeah, and um, I guess it's very personal because mm. she was born in Singapore but she, of th- uh, to Taiwanese parents and training in New York, I guess she has come across many people who have multiple um, identities that they they would um, they, they, they belong to. And the show was very sensual, very young, and it seems like she's situating in this space of art and performance mm-hmm. as well as fashion. Um, it was very well done. There were about 13 casted um, performers. So she did a call out to on, on social media for it. Right. And the clothes were made up of different types of knits and slip dresses. Um, there were Chinese knot harnesses. Mm-hmm. And it was almost as if some of the clothes were not there. It's like in, in very very soft and like whispers you know right sounds like a lot to take in visually and very experimental as well yeah it was and it was very well produced like Mm -hmm. the 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 performers came in one by one and they really took their time in the space and they um, the music was also cute to go along with that and the um, there was the performative element of the tea ceremony which as the write-up says, literally dyed the clothes as well. What kind of music was played? Um, it was this. Um, it, it was done. It was experimental electronic music, and okay. it was done by this musician. Um, I will have to find his name. But um, yeah, so he he was mixing on the spot. Okay. Yeah. So it was a live performance, very artistic from the sounds of it. Yes. Um, more than just about the clothes, really. Yeah, it was really more about than just the clothes. And it had a really good turnout and it doesn't it didn't have the strict division between audience and performance. Like some people were sitting on the floor and there were some chairs around so the the line between performance and the viewers was a bit Blurred. Right. It seems like these type of presentations for fashion collections have been quite trendy because in June this year, we were both yeah. quite intrigued by a poster yeah. promoting a fashion show called Why Not that we saw around campus. Yeah, I, I saw it by the lift landing. That's right. And then I sent a message to all of you and I was like, does anybody know who did this? Yeah. And it had a really cool, it just had a landing page on the website. Mm. And it was very mysterious and you had to um, kind of just... I guess they just wanted people to be intrigued and to come. So they didn't give out a lot. But only since then, then I got to find out more about it. And the performance happened on in June 
I was not around to visit it, but they did a live stream and they've recorded it very well and documented it in their social media pages. Right. Yeah. So it was done by... It featured the work of six new graduates who were not very satisfied with the way that um, institutions put together fashion shows. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to have full authorship of how they wanted to present their fashion collection. And I mean, these are, again, new graduates. So it kind of makes sense for them to really not have to think about commercial aspects or to be so self-conscious about how they are presenting their work because they are, it's almost like they're doing like a manifesto. Right, and who are these designers? So there were six different designers. Um, Kairina Mazin, Lydia Kok, Manfred Lu, Miyuki Tsuji, Putri Adif and Shuri To. And the, um, the collective was also headed with um, creative director Iswan Abdullah and freelance PR maven Ray Selim. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a nice write-up done by, um, r- done by Female Magazine about them. And the title was, Why Not? A New Collective Aiming to Disrupt Singapore's Fashion Ecosystem by Yang Xuan. Right. And... What was the reception like for this show? It was really good. 250 people came to the space and mm-hmm. it was held at the substation, which is an uh, art space. Mm-hmm. And um, they had they, it had a very a lot of the people who went thought it had a very raw experimental feel and they hadn't seen something like this happen before. Right. So I think between the Shauna Wu show and the Why Not show, we see you know, young designers taking risks, making bold yes. statements and kind of putting their creative visions out there, not just through the making of their clothes, the making of their collections, but in the ways that they present yeah. these collections to say something about themselves as designers. Yes. Uh, maybe more than designers, as creatives. Yeah, it's like something, I mean, you said it before, you said it's almost like fashion for fashion's sake. We're, right. we're used to hearing about art for art's sake but mm-hmm. we don't really think about fashion for fashion's sake but more of its commerce and its mm-hmm. viability I agree um, well earlier this month I attended a fashion presentation by local women's wear label Stolen helmed by designer Eileen Wong so Eileen's um, label Stolen has been in business since 2011 and I'm just thinking about what we just said of uh, the young designers kind of taking a more experimental route with their presentations and how perhaps with a label like Stolen, which is more established but still relatively young, Mm -hmm. there's more at stake. Um, You know, thinking about fashion as a business, thinking of it as something to run in a viable way. Yeah. Well, anyway, the presentation was quite a long time coming because it had been two and a half years since Stolen's wow. last collection as well. Yeah, and um, it was based on a trip that uh, Eileen took to Bhutan. And I think um, you were asking me when I after I went to the show and I told you about it. You were asking me whether it was um, something that came through in the collection. Yeah. But I think it came through more in the presentation than the collection. So it was called Zhuwa, and I believe it was named for Zhuwa Ling, which means land of peace. And that's the name of a hotel in Bhutan that faces the Tiger's Nest Temple, mm-hmm. um, a very famous 
landmark in Bhutan and it was a source of inspiration for Eileen to create the collection. So within the collection, yes, there are limited pieces available that feature embroidery by Bhutanese artisans. But other than that, the collection featured dresses and separates that showed off the wearer's back as is the unique yes. selling point. <laughs> of course, you know that for um, Stolen the Label. But I think what Eileen did that was really smart was to, first of all, secure corporate sponsorship from CIMB Bank oh to make it all possible. I mean, you've talked about how when you put up shows for Mashup, I mean, it's it's astronomical, right? The, the yes. production costs that go yes. into it. If you're not part of a fashion week or a group show, um, I mean, to do an independent presentation, it depends how much you want to spend. But if you do... Uh, a traditional runway show right. that's a lot of lights, a lot of production that you need to yeah. put money for. And to pay for the models that exactly. are cast um, and, and all those kind of things. And venue, mm-hmm. um, rental costs as well. And everyone expects a little drink before the show. Oh, right. <laughs> yes, the full experience. So, speaking about full experiences, um, I thought Eileen also was successful in creating an immersive experience in Bhutanese culture that extended beyond the presentation of of the new clothes in the collection. So she had a chef make authentic Bhutanese dishes such as chili cheese <laughs> and also specially concocted cocktails with um, ingredients special to Bhutanese cuisine. She even invited a travel agency to, to offer travel packages to Bhutan if the audience should like to go on a similar journey that she took. I see. Well, I, I was interested in how the inspiration came in the materiality of the clothes and you did mention that she still kept the clothes very modern, very abstracted. Mm. So what do you think about, could it have been inspired by anything then? Or is it just the, how did the Bhutanese culture come through? I feel like it was almost an accidental thing. Um, To me, I think personally, she was very inspired by the trip because she did mention at the end of the presentation so at the end of it she came out and she talked to the audience and I think you know she was just telling everyone how it changed her life Um, within the presentation uh, there was a singer singing a Bhutanese song as well and the presentation was held in a room at a club a members only club called Mm -hmm. Straits Clan and it was entirely transformed there were fibers on the floor there was sand mm. there was um, scent as well um, you know That's something that I wouldn't have thought from the pictures I mean I saw the the images and they looked yeah. really beautiful but the experience of smell wouldn't have That's come right. through you know the experience of smell you're right you know I think that was uh, facilitated by a perfume label that collaborated with Eileen as well called Ulala mm. and also um, you know just when you're walking into the room and you have to step on these like really husky kind of fibres <laughs> and the subtle crunch of the sand I mean it really transports you somewhere else yeah um, and the presentation was very slow moving, you know, it, it really took its time and at the end, Eileen came out and talked about her journey. So I think the use of Bhutanese culture was to kind of personalise the collection to bring the audience into her creative process. Um, did we learn something about Bhutan? Yes, I think so. But you're right that, you know, as a designer, I mean, she also had to think about the DNA of her label, right? And yes. And the unique selling point of her label is has always been about you know showing off the back of of women um you know one of the things that i i wasn't 
so comfortable with at the presentation was um, the acknowledgement of non, the non-acknowledgement of the jewelry maker. Mm-hmm. So within the presentation, you've seen the photos. There are yes. these amazing accessories, um, hit pieces. Necklaces, things that draped over the shoulder. So both the designer and the models wore these pieces, and they were really finely knitted um, metallic jewelry. And everyone was really amazed, I think, by these pieces because when we went downstairs for you know the Bhutanese food and to see the the perfume booth or to pre-order pieces from the collection, I overheard several people ask, you know, where can I mm-hmm. order the jewelry? It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, actually, it was done by a jewelry designer from Singapore called. Uh, she goes by the the handle Cat by Cat, mm-hmm. and you can find her on Instagram. Grand Cat by Cat, K-A-T-B-Y-K-A-T. And she wasn't overtly credited or given a booth to display her wares, which I thought was a pity because, you know, we've often talked about how fashion is um, an ecosystem yes. or a system. And in Singapore especially, it's such a small community. And really, it doesn't work very well if we don't support each other. Um, but of course, Eileen commissioned the pieces and and Mm -hmm. I'm sure the designer was well compensated for her work and of course the images can and has been used by um, the jewellery designer as well to show off what she can do How did you find out that it was done by her? So Because you went to purchase a piece. Yes, I went to purchase a piece because I thought they were beautiful. I mean, I was looking through Eileen's Instagram account and I saw in one of her posts that um, the jewelry designer had gifted her with a necklace. So I thought, oh, that looks familiar and that looks exactly like what was... um, Oh, wow. So you went on a detective. I know, I know. (laughs) It sounds a bit creepy now that I think about it. But, you know, so it wasn't that Eileen didn't overtly credit or like wanted to hide the fact that this was um, what happened but I think it could have, it could have been more a little familiar. more explicit yes. yeah you know because I don't think it would have detracted from the success of a collection and it would have helped to kind of buoy another mm. um, local um, designer and you know give but her more business it was still labelled under cat by cat well, that's the thing. I mean, if you look at the social media posts, there's all these uh, names that are credited, like CMB Bank, um, the perfume label, yep. even a travel agency. But the jewelry designer's name is just very obviously missing. Mm-hmm. So I think it is an it's honest oversight. Yeah. yeah, but it is still a pity, you're right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. of course, when you're doing things by yourself or like in a very small team it's very easy to miss out things I agree you you don't have a PR agency a producer and um, only the ones who make a big point of making sure that they put that's right their logo like the bank etc will get will will ensure that they're presented yes because it's such a big project and there's so many parts to take care of and you're absolutely right I mean I think it's not a criticism on my part of Eileen's work really I just think that yeah it was a pity that you know this designer wasn't best practices for next time exactly best practices you're right Um, and you know something you mentioned earlier about how people expect like a nibble or a canapé (laughs) or a drink before or after a fashion presentation I think then it was really cool of Eileen to kind of just present you know Bhutanese food and drinks you know something that's out of the ordinary and there seems to be really something about combining fashion with food because 
another local designer who has creatively presented her collections outside of that fashion week kind of schedule would be Priscilla Shunmugam with mm-hmm. the label Ong Shunmugam. And this label started around the same time as Stolen, so about late 2010, early 2011. And for her crew's 2018 collection, Priscilla presented um, the pieces at Violet Un Sate Grill and Bar. Wow. So <laughs> it was really about, you know, putting the two together. Yeah, um, definitely works here in Singapore. Definitely. obsessed. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And uh, Priscilla has also shown, um, for example, her Gadis Picasso collection based on the Sarang Kabaya mm-hmm. in her atelier in intimate presentations that hark back to salon shows mm-hmm. that, for example, Charles Frederick Worth or Lucille used to put on in the early 20th century. Very when intimate. Yeah, when the idea of fashion shows was still really not on anyone's consciousness, you know, that was how they presented their work to their clientele. Um, And Danny, you recently visited Shanghai Fashion Week, um, which I'm very envious about. (laughs) And it all sounded so fascinating when you showed us the pictures that you brought back and the experiences that you had. There seems to be lots of creative energy and excitement around young Chinese fashion designers these days. Yes, the the young... The young Chinese designers, they are super, I mean, they are in such a high caliber. A lot of them have been trained overseas. A lot of them train in London, in New York, in Antwerp. And I went there primarily for the Business of Fashion China Prize. Mm. And that was very evident evident in the presentations that they showed. Um, for example, um, the, the winning designer... Carolyn Hu. Yes, she was trained in New York, and she her her pieces had this very, uh, very um, textural, beautiful kind of romantic, but with a bit of a grunge uh, mm. feel, and that really reminded me of like um, the American um, designers like Rodarte, and with the styling of Marc Jacobs, you know. Right. And. Um, and so what I really enjoyed the most in Shanghai Fashion Week, it's a huge affair. It's very commercial, obviously, but they are also supporting more fringe events. So there's two different independent groups, such as Labelhood and X-Commons, who kind of take care of young designers and give them a showroom, um, put, give them a space to do their fashion presentations. Mm. So they, but the nice thing about that is that even though we have these very young designers who are still um, kind of working through their business, etc., we have a very authentic and huge interest by bigger fashion um, companies, Chinese companies like Alibaba, mm-hmm. which has launched Tmall, which is their cust- which is their business to consumer mall. That's right. Um, and how they are trying to like kind of partner up these young designers with more established uh, Chinese labels. Mm-hmm. And so they worked on special collections for that. And I mean, when I had uh, when I had the opportunity to collaborate with bigger companies, for example, Mashup did a collaboration with Uniqlo. Mm-hmm. You really are given. Um, kind of production capabilities that you wouldn't otherwise have as a young designer Mm -hmm. Um, because we're making as a young designer you're making small quantities yet when you're working with bigger companies they are doing things by the hundreds the thousands right and and also their distribution points are different so it's definitely kind of leveraging a lot on that and 
Yeah. And you were telling me about this really interesting presentation by Simon Lee. Oh yeah, that was my favorite one. Right. Yeah. So that one was organized by X Commons and it was done in in it looked almost as if you were attending a treaty signing. It, okay. And it was called Ceasefire and the models looked very serious and and we went in as a group. And this is a menswear label or Well, he was showing Yes, it was a men, it's a menswear label, but I mean, a lot of presentations now are mixing men and women together right. and giving this very androgynous, uh, gender fluid <laughs> kind of presentations. Yeah. So there were actually female models as well. Okay. Um, but there were these tailored um, leather coats and it looked almost like army uniforms. And the audience came in in a group and we were wearing headphones with um, three different channels. And in one of them, the designer, I think, was, uh, I think it was him, was giving a manifesto. And it really felt like you were in some sort of like um, political demonstration. Mm. And it was very quick and the, and it felt that you were attending like a immersive theatre performance. Right. So there's some kind of parallels to what we discussed earlier with Shauna Wu and why not the idea of like yes. a manifesto or putting out a statement yes. I mean the only thing is that this particular presentation had a much higher production value like I see they were professional models right um, even though they might have had acting experience yeah. they were not I don't think they were street custard um, there was actually a PR agency that's working with them okay. there was um, the location itself was almost like a historical building mm. so I mean it is in a different level but yes it, it it kind of merges that idea of not a typical fashion show runway okay and this was part of Shanghai Fashion Week exactly yes but it was like in a fringe location so X Commons took one location and Labelhood um, took another location in a contemporary art space called Tank Shanghai. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's not to be confused with Shanghai Tank, though. It's a different no. thing. Okay. <laughs> so Tank Shanghai, you, you mentioned it was uh, started by an art collector. Yes, and in, uh, it was, it's privately funded by an art collector. And they literally were tanks and okay. have been turned into art galleries. Ah, so spaces. Tank Shanghai. Yes. Oh, got it. Okay, I kept thinking it was Tang Shanghai, Shanghai mm-hmm. because I'm still thinking about Tank. the exotic kind of uh, Shanghai perspective Tank. of Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed also that uh, designers like Simon Lee, they are not only showing at Shanghai Fashion Week, but also, for example, at London Fashion Week. Yes. So a lot of the designers have, by virtue of the scale of purchasing power in China have a huge market in China but at the same time they were trained somewhere else and they also have a very good reputation there and they want to and they want to continue their their name being shown in the in the week so Simon Lee I think is one of them and also um Suzi shows mm. in London Fashion Week okay. as well I guess if we think back to the original intention of Fashion Week, it was really to put everything into a schedule uh, where it would make sense, make sense for overseas buyers to make the trip to see as much as possible. Yes. And of course, the designers would want to be uh, exposed to as many consumers as possible as well. Yes. I mean, a lot of the showrooms are still in places like Paris and London and it's still happening, even though, I mean, it's more decentralized now. It's, the institutions are still there. Mm. But if we think back to our cue for the episode, what do you think about Sweden cancelling Fashion Week, citing environmental reasons? I read that it's partly because of its 
status as a less than status to Copenhagen Fashion Week? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, if we think also about how Singapore Fashion Week was cancelled after its 2017 um, edition, mm-hmm. and I remember Jin Lee, uh, who runs market, uh, Mercury Marketing Communications and had been the force behind Singapore Fashion Week for, I think, 11 years. Mm. She was talking about how it's just not um, sustainable because it costs so much money to mm-hmm. produce and... Um, also citing the fact that the domestic market was simply not big enough to make it um, viable. viable, to make it, you know, make sense. Yes. I mean, a lot of fashion weeks are, like, happen with a trade show. So, I know that uh, we used to have Blueprint. That's right. But at the same time, many of the buyers with their conflicting schedules would would have to pick where they're going to go. And Absolutely. It would have to be a very big draw to bring them all yes. the way here. And I read that, you know, because there are so many fashion weeks happening all over the world, at any point in time, there is a fashion week, wow. you know, that you can attend. <laughs> um, because I think um, fashion, I mean, we know is a business. It's yeah. um, And it's something that countries or cities as a whole they want to kind of have a viable fashion industry as well right so there's something aspirational about it um, and I think at the same time you know thinking about environmental reasons I mean one of the big things we're discussing these days would be the use of plastic for instance yes um, I mean I know I'm getting personally anxious whenever I go to the supermarket and see all these like plastic packaging <laughs> that really serve no purpose than to make the display seem aesthetically pleasing although now it's just anxiety producing (laughs) Um, but if you think about you know how fashion week is really transient I mean you put up a show and you tear it down and that's it right and if you have like a whole week of shows in the same venue the same thing applies you know there's a lot of um, shipping involved you have to pack your materials you have to put up you know, the tentage, for instance, we used to have the tent yes. um, outside Nian City for Singapore Fashion Week before it moved to National Gallery yes. Singapore for, I think, a couple of years. And also all the travelling because, I mean, I hear that in New York Fashion Week, it's a huge surge of, of tourists who, I mean, not tourists, like people who fly in just for that week. So you're that's a lot of carbon footprint. Yes, exactly. And I think also nowadays, you know, there's just so much available online as well. I mean, you were talking about how why not put up their runway show or not runway show, their, run, their presentation yes. um, up online. So you can reach you know, many more people um, who don't have to attend in person. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I mean, we're still kind of grappling with that because even during Digital Fashion Week, right? So Digital Fashion Week was in Singapore and it got yes. absorbed by Singapore Fashion Week at some point in yes. time. But we still needed physical attendees, you know. Like True. <laughs> so it, it we're still kind of grappling with this idea of digital, and it seems like there's still something that can't be transferred over true there's something visceral I guess about you know just attending a show in person and of course you you're there there's the atmosphere I mean if the designer has you know put an effort with not just the music and the the lighting but also in terms of smells in terms of you know um, the added sort of perks before after the show and the collective experience of the people who 
come to the show as well. Yeah, so the performative value is still there. So I'm not sure about, I mean, the cancellation of fashion weeks like Stockholm Fashion Week or Singapore Fashion Week, mm-hmm. but we're also seeing uh, designers leaving Fashion Week or saying that they are not oh, going to be yes. part of Fashion Week. Like, for example, <laughs> Alexander Wang has said that he wouldn't be part of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexander Wang has always done interesting things. Like, I remember there was a video he put forth with Bon Kui Kui. Okay. It was this comedian and it was mm-hmm. it was very absurd and very funny and, and and he's done very strange things. Right. With his brand. Yeah. And I think that's part of what keeps fashion novel. So I mean there's the idea of standardizing. So for example, putting fashion week together, that's standardizing and yes. kind of gathering everybody. But then at some point in time, you know, it's done and people start to deviate. You know, yes. it's kind of like fashion cycles as well, if you mm-hmm. think about it. You know, the cyclical kind of um idea of keeping things new, but then at some point in time the old becomes new again. Yes. And it just keeps going on and on. Um, and what do you think about London Fashion Week opening up to the public? I know, I saw that and I think we spoke about this before and we're not sure if it's symptomatic of the democratization of fashion or whether it just means that it's going down. <laughs> yes, I don't know what it means exactly. I mean, why did they do this? Um, is it to sell the tickets? Yeah, and it's going to be... Uh, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of tickets being sold on eBay. <laughs> I'm sure that will happen, just as it happens when you have like high street labels oh, do we doing collaborations with designers. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's interesting because in Singapore, you don't just have eBay, you have like Carousel. And oh, I know. Yes, I think that's where we would find it. That's where we would find it if it were here. And I think in um, the UK, you can also use um, the pop. DEPOP to sell things like that. <laughs> and of course, there are all these other. <laughs> places that we don't know about. I mean, well, anyway, that's um, a topic for another episode. Um, yeah, but I think you're right, you know, the, the idea of democratization of fashion. I mean, in recent years, the consumer has become increasingly close to fashion shows. It used to be something mm-hmm. that was, you know, um, that had gatekeepers, yeah, like could, the buyers, you, the journalists. Exactly. And before, you couldn't even take pictures no. of shows you had. Yeah, it was all very secretive. Yes. Um, but now, I mean, you have to be part of the game. You have to have it on Insta stories. And of course, brands and designers have gotten in front of that problem by live streaming their shows mm-hmm. and kind of circumventing how um, others would present others would present their, their work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the next step is, but it seems like things are just kind of going faster and faster. I mean, of course, there's the see now, buy now strategy as well. So mm-hmm. whatever you see on the runway, you can buy immediately because... I mean, people just don't want to wait for the six months, you know, before they, they see or before they buy what they've already seen. Yeah, but I would like to see the numbers for that. I'm not convinced that... That it was. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know either. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if we, we will ever know. No, I don't um, think so. But, I mean, we're also having... Secrets of the trade. Yes. <laughs> and we're... I mean, there's a lot of digital platforms like... Uh, shop the runway that's right where you can buy things from the runway which get algorithms to see what is going to be produced which Mm. is great because then you don't produce a million pieces that nobody's going to buy and I'm just thinking about what the hurry is you know I mean we keep talking about slow fashion for instance Mm -hmm. but then it just seems like people just want to get their hands on the latest thing immediately and for me 
that's not how I like fashion or that's not how I experience fashion. I feel like there's something about kind of slowly enjoying, you know, what's on display. There is that period of waiting, yes. there's the anticipation, there's the un- unpackaging, there's mm-hmm. the idea that, oh, I saw this, but, you know, I forgot about it and now it's returned to me and it's new again, mm-hmm. you know, rather than just kind of chasing after the next big thing or the next new thing, rather. And, I mean, when does it end, right? Yes. And I think that's pretty much, to me, what is so environmentally unsustainable, really. Yeah. But maybe then fashion presentations could be a way to just experience fashion instead of having to purchase it. Right. The eternal conundrum. (laughs) Do I make fashion for fashion's sake or do I make fashion to make a living (laughs) and to make it a viable business? Well, do you think we will ever see Fashion Week come back to Singapore? Well, I hope so. I mean, when um, Jin Lee sort of said, I'm not going to do Singapore Fashion Week anymore. She did mention in an article in The Straits Times, um, which is a Singapore news daily, that she was giving the name back to TAF, which uh, stands for Textile and Fashion Federation of Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't heard anything yet about what's going to happen. So currently we have no trade show no in trade Singapore, show. No. no Fashion Week in Singapore, no. just sort of pop-ups yeah. of... Um, independent fashion presentations. Which I really like, really. Okay. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I like it because there is no frenzy that kind of accompanies fashion Yeah, and the, I mean, the designers can put out something when they feel like they have something to say, not just because they have to. Yes. So there is no added pressure from sort of an external organisation and it's on their own time and it's when they feel comfortable when they have something they are very proud to show rather than kind of rushing to meet a deadline. Yes. Um, but maybe we, if there's no deadline, there'll be nothing. <laughs> there'll be nothing. I don't know as well. Um, I think we'll have to wait and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think perhaps, like you said, it is enough for now that designers are organically and resourcefully putting up shows. And perhaps Singapore Fashion Week will also organically <laughs> um, manifest again. I would like to see local designers make better use of the digital realm to reach a wider audience. Um, so, for instance, I still don't see that local designers are, um, you know, sort of selling their their work online to like an, a wider audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was only I think in the last couple of weeks I think that Ong Shumugam had an online shop. So previously, I had to write in and mm. kind of say, I want to make an appointment, which is quite forbidding, I think, for the general kind of public. Yeah, but I guess that's also because she does a lot of made-to-measure, right? True. I mean, yeah. for Mashup, when we first began, we had 70% of our online orders from places like Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because the local market would go to our store or, mm. or to our consignees. Consignment, consignment stores. Consignment to, stores, yeah. To, to buy, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the ones who bought online were in, yeah, in the US and right. Australia. So for a more international reach, I mean, yes, digital I mean, is where it's at. Yes, and especially, I mean, maybe this is for another podcast, but I did some research on e-commerce in Singapore, so Instagram brands. Like there was this brand that was very big online called Almighty. Mm-hmm. And it was it was super internet, like it had 
it was using um, all these memes and emoji languages and and I never knew that they were from Singapore until I dug deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and and we have place uh, we have brands well retail like Love Bonito that also began online and mm. then went physical. Yeah. Mm. But I guess these are more sort of like um, more retail retail yeah. kind of yes. uh, stores and not so much independent designers. labels exactly. that kind of worship that that designer status, yes. right? Like we've talked about today. Yes. Yeah, but I think you're right. For now, the strategy um, seems to be to keep it small, intimate and exclusive for local designers. I mean, through all the examples we've talked about today, like Shana Wu, the Why Not presentation, Stolen the Label with the Jua presentation, Ong Shumugam's um, presentations in the past few years, mm-hmm. they've all been about keeping it really exclusive and that's part of the cachet of buying pieces from those labels well thank you very much Danny for a really lovely chat (laughs) thank you Nadia and thank you for listening in to us in the vitrine we hope you've enjoyed our first episode and we look forward to talking more about fashion in the next thank you Bye. bye